Good morning, Northbrook Church. Welcome. Um, today we will be reading from Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this. In the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet our, your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I am glad that you're here. And uh, either you changed your clocks last night and got to enjoy your nice, restful morning, or you made a mad dash to get here. But either way, you made it. Uh, and so uh, thank you for being here. I am uh, I'm Dustin Ratzliff. I'm, I'm one of the elders here at Northbrook, and, uh, and I, I'm, I'm excited for uh, just what the Lord has for us today. Um, I, I know that lament is a, is a difficult thing. It's a, a difficult topic. Uh, you know, typically, we're walking through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, but occasionally we do uh, go, go by topics, and, and, and so we have uh, purpose in that, intent in, uh, intentions in that, and... Uh, and so, God has something for us in lament. And so this week, we continue our sermon series, The Grace of Lament, uh, by diving into Psalm 77. Last week, Brady kicked this series off with Psalm, Psalm 13, uh, and, and it introduced kind of the, the biblical pattern that we see of, of lament. Um, and there's kind of four aspects of it. There's, there's a turn to God. We see complaints 
complaining to God, asking him, questioning him, and then trusting him. And as you pointed out, this is not necessarily a linear thing. It's not a, a process that, or a progression that we have to follow. It's not a formula for healing. We live in a time when efficiency is king. And what we really mean by that is time is king. And possibly the more, more common phrase is that time is money. We, we look for and want the fastest way to the end. What are the tips, tricks, and hacks that could get me to where I want to go as fast as I can get there? So it's, it's no surprise that we will often take this approach to suffering. We, we want it to end. Often the goal is not how can I walk with Christ through this, but how can I get past it? Don't get me wrong, efficiency has its place. But when it comes to lament, my encouragement for us is that we would follow the Lord wherever he goes and for as long as it takes. Because he's with us in every step of that process. And he's not just taking us past the hurt. What he's really doing in that is showing himself to be faithful along the way. And so there will be times that we will need to spend more time in one of these aspects. We may even have to go back to them. We have questions initially and when something first happens, but then, you know, time goes on and we've looked at it harder and then there's more questions. And so we can return as we need to. My fear is that we would jump too quickly to the end, that if we know the gospel, we just want to bypass the turn. We want to bypass the complaints and the asking. And we just want to get to the point of, like, trusting. That's what a good, faithful Christian would, would do. They would just turn and trust God. They, it should be easy. We know that he's over everything, and he's, he's in control of everything, and he loves me, and so it's all good. But it's, it's not that easy, and many of you know that. And in doing that, we almost exclusively focus on the sovereignty of the Lord, or his promise to work all things together for good. But I would submit to you that what God has for us in all of lament is really just more of himself. And pressing to get past the pain and suffering, what we're really missing is intimacy with God. We'll get into this, but it's not merely at the end of lament. When there, is, when there is a turn, when we do get to see God if, with new eyes, that we turn to trusting him. But he really is. He's intimately with us throughout the whole time. And sometimes it, it may take more faith to press into asking those questions, to complaining to him, because some of those questions rail against who he is who he's revealed himself to be. You see, God's ways are not our ways. If God wanted to be efficient, he could have put Adam and Eve to death and just started anew. Like, you sinned, you messed up, I'm done, let's try again. But that's not what he did. That's because that's not who he is. So church, we, we have to look at him more closely. We've got to look at him as, as how he's revealed himself. 
And so listen to what Scripture says about our Savior. Isaiah 53, verse 3, he says, says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Philippians 2, verses 5 and 7, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then Hebrews 2, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And even as we were singing, and, 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 and really the prayer, he knows our suffering. He, he's cried out himself. Listen to what he says on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that, that is one of the hard things of suffering and grief and lament is that it's a lonely process. We feel cast aside, forgotten. And so, our Savior, he came first as a suffering servant. Because it reveals something about him. And although he's perfect and holy, he is not far off. He came that he may know us, and know what we walked through. And he came to save us from our sin and suffering. He knows our lament. And, and as Hebrews 2 said, he was made perfect through that. Now, I don't even know how that works. How, how is it that the eternal son, perfect and holy for all time, unchanging, is made perfect through suffering? We're just going to have to take that one at face value today. I'm going to let Jake take that in some future series uh, when we give, go through Hebrews. But if, our suffer, but if our Savior was made perfect through suffering, we'd say that God has something for us in it. And this is the reason that we are calling this series the grace of lament. Because it is, it is a grace that God doesn't leave us alone in our suffering, but he walks with us. And stands with open arms for us to walk with him. And so, as we get into Psalm 77 today, there's, there's kind of two sections that, that I really see there. Um, and so, we have verses 1 through 9, uh, which is what I see is a crying out to God. He, he begins and he, he prays and he, said, um, he says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God and he will hear me. He, he turns to God. And he cries out. And then, and, and this, to connect this to last week, you know, this is, this is all kind of the, the turn, the ask, complain. 
And so I'm kind of rolling that into one step of, of just crying out to God. And then we kind of get, and then we get into a second section, which I'm calling remembering God or, or trusting who he is and what he's done. And so that will be in verses 10 through 20. And so <clears throat> let's get into the word. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out. Without wearing, my soul refuses to be comforted. You see, we'd see the psalmist here crying out to God, turning to him. And in a sense, he's striving for God. He's, in the night, my hand is stretched out without wearing. He's reaching for the Father. He's grasping for the Father to take hold of him, to comfort him. But he's not finding it. And he says, my soul refuses to be comforted. Often in our suffering and grief, we are desperate for relief, and yet it eludes us. He goes on, when I remember God, I moan. I meditate. When I meditate, my spirit faints. He, he turns to God, and, and he remembers him, but it's not comforting. It doesn't bring him peace. And, and we're going to have to hold on to that for just a moment because I, I, I want to get into that. Um, I think sometimes we, we think we know God. And, and, and as the creation, we, we think we can stand and, and look at him and we can stand over him and understand all of him. But, but that's not. He's the creator and we are the creation. And so we will not be able to wrap our heads around all of who he is. And so sometimes he's, he's got to reveal himself to us. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. And so just, just a second ago, he's reaching out, he's striving, he's, he's saying, I'm praying without wearying. But here he turns and he's, and he's wanting sleep. You hold my eyelids open. Sometimes in our, our suffering and our grief, sleep can be a grace. It's a grace to be able to rest and, and ease your mind. But here, the Lord is, is not giving that to him. And, and he's not even able to pray in this time. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. And this is why it's so tempting to turn to other things. Because they, these other things seem so much easier. I can just turn to this and it will take away the pain. Or at the very least, it will let me forget about it and set it aside and I can just move on. Verse 5, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. Don't, don't we do this? Don't we look back to the, to the good old days? To the days when they, they seemed simple, when times were good and we were at ease. We just, in, in wanting to get past grief and suffering, that's really what we want to get back to. We just want to get back to a place where I'm, I'm okay. 
God is up there. He's, he's good. He's holy. I can worship him and I can praise him. And, and life is good. But, but there's more to him than that. And so I see him. He's, he's, he's up. He's wanting sleep, but he's not. He's considering the days of old. And then in verse 6, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Now he, now he turns inwardly. He was reaching out. He was praying to God. But now he, he looks inwardly. He starts to look with, within himself. Let me meditate in my heart. Let me try to figure this out. The, the natural question to suffering and grief is why? Why did this happen? Why me? And so he, he does. He, he looks in and he starts to ask these questions. And as I've said, it's, suffering is a personal thing. It's a lonely thing. Even when there are others around you who have gone through the same thing, or there's community around there around you loving you. Suffering is a it's a lonely thing. I know some of you have been there. So listen to the questions that he asks here. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? See, not asking God, are you not good? I mean, this is basically in line with the, the question, how can a good God allow suffering? Either he's powerful, either he's not powerful enough to stop it, or he's not good to allow it. I mean, this is, this is why in verse 3, when he remembers God, he moans and his spirit faints. He has all these questions, but no answers. He knows the truth about God, that God is loving, that he's merciful and gracious, but there's nothing in his current circumstances that would testify to that. There's nothing about whatever he's walking through that says those things are true. And so he's wrestling with those. How can God be good and there be such suffering when he claims to love me? And so those are the questions he asked. Maybe he's just spurned me. Maybe his love has ceased. Maybe his promises were just for them and not for me. Maybe he's forgotten me. And, and you can just hear in those questions how lonely those are. And I, I know these questions. As I know some of you know these questions. You've, you've asked these hard times. It, this week will be five years uh, since my wife and I lost our third son. We, she was pregnant, and so we went 
to the, to the birthing center, expecting to, to welcome our son into this world. We're expecting to hold him in our arms and to hear his cries. And yet that's not what the Lord had for us that night. Instead, it was one of the longest and darkest nights of our lives, which carried into days and weeks and months. It's something that we still walk with him in. And so later this week, we will probably go out to a park as a family and we will cry and we'll we'll remember, we'll wonder what's he like? What, What would he have been? What would our family be like? Those are hard questions to ask because they're, they're not answered. We don't know. Looking back to those, the days and, and the weeks that followed and the months that followed that night, that night, it was all we could do to get through just one day at a time. And brothers and sisters, we, we were loved well. We had our family, we had friends, we had our church body come alongside of us. They they fed us, they wept with us, they cared for our kids, they took care of details. It was, we were so well loved. But we still had questions. Why, why us, why did you take our son? The thought that I could just hear one cry. Man, that would be enough. But at the same time, we know that wouldn't be. We'd want more. We knew that God was good, but we hurt, and there was nothing to ease our pain. And I'm not sure when in this process I I came across Psalm 88. But but when I did, it, it resonated with me. Psalm 88, verses 3 and 4 says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Psalm 88 is not a particularly comforting psalm, because that's not the last verse, but that's how it ends. It ends with, with the psalmist crying out, God, where are you? I need you. Take me. Heal me. And it, and it, but that's where it ends. A lot of the other psalms turn to other things, but Psalm 88 doesn't. And so I clung to it because someone else had, had put into words how I felt. Someone else had known the pain I was feeling, and that was at least a little comforting to know that I was not entirely alone. I know others had experienced what we had. I even knew that my wife was walking through the very same thing. But we don't often get to see what's going going on at a heart level. We can be around one another, but there's, there's things that really only happen between us and the Lord. And so we were in it together, but in some ways, walking alone. And after several months, 
I don't know that things got better, but, but I mean, you have the demands of life. You, you've, you have other children. You've, you've got to move on. Work was gracious to me, but there was still work to be done. And so <clears throat> I got to a place that I was ready to move on. I, I was ready just to say, hey, let's put this behind us. Let, let's move on and, and let's get back to life. And, you know, being a good husband, being a loving husband, uh, I was there, my wife wasn't, and so I'm like, you know what, I, I'm going to lead her out of this. Uh, was, that was a big mistake, but uh, thankfully I, I have a loving and gracious wife. And so one night we, uh, we, sat, we, we got the kids put to bed, we had some time, we got to sit down on the couch, and so I think, man, this is a good time, I'll, I'll I'll press in. I'll start asking questions, kind of find out where she's at, what she's not seeing, and how we can get out of this situation. And so we sat there, and I start asking questions, and I don't think I was, we were there five minutes. And in her wisdom, she stops me and looks at me and says, this is not helping. I'm going to go to the bedroom. And she just gets up and walks out. And, and I'm left there at a loss. Like, not only did I fail, like, I, I failed bad. Like, I, I don't know, like, I can't even go ask questions now because I was trying to do something. I was trying probably to manipulate her into just moving on. And, and that's not where she was. And so now how do I go to her and ask questions? How do I ask, just genuinely, how is she doing? And so I, I, I was frustrated and, and I, I, as I often do, I just began to wrestle in my mind, like, all right, what needs to be done? What can I do about this? How, how do I change this? And finally, I began to pray. Finally, I began to reach out to the Lord. And it was in the midst of that that the Spirit kind of prompted this question. It said, he said, Dustin, how have I cared for you? How have I, have I counseled you? Have I led you out of this place of hurt? And I realized that he hadn't counseled me. He hadn't given me a great revelation, some truth that would make all things right. But he'd been with me. He'd been with me the whole time. And I realized that that's why he came and he suffered and he died to put an end to suffering and death. You know, we're, we're not at Revelation 21. We're not at that point where he's wiped away every tear. We're, we're in the time in between, in between his resurrection and ours. And I, I kind of thought back to what it, would, what it would have been like to be a disciple You've walked with Jesus. You've, you've been with him. You've seen him do miracles. He, you, you know he's the king. And then, then you see him on Good Friday. And you see the suffering. And you see his death. And you wake up Saturday morning. And you're going, what happened? What do I do? You don't have the resurrection yet. You just have the cross. And there had to have been so many questions. 
And, and church, because we are living in between the time of his resurrection and, and ours, we still have questions. And we can ask those things. And we can run to them. Our God is a loving father who, who stands open with open arms. Like he, he cares for us. He cares for us enough that he has sent his son. And so I went to my wife and I apologized to her. And I told her that I was with her. However long it takes, wherever it would lead us, I would be with her in that. And church, that is, man, that has been a grace to walk with her in this, to be with her through our suffering. If we go back to our psalm, we're at verse 10. Psalmist says, then I, will, then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. You see, <clears throat> the psalmist has looked within himself. You know, in verse 6, we talked about it. Let me meditate in my heart. Now he turns and he remembers God. Then I said, I will appeal to the years of the right hand of, of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the wonder, your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. You see, he takes his eyes off himself and he turns them to God. That, that's what happened for me. And in seeing, I tried to, tried to carry it, I tried to handle it myself, but seeing, being able to see that he had been there in that night, and that he'd walked with us, and that he cared for us through the body, through the spirit, it gave me new eyes to look and see his, his deeds. And that's the psalmist here. He has new eyes to see who God is and what he's done. A, a, similar thing, a similar thing happens with Job. If we remember the story of Job, it begins with Job, with, in Job at 1, and it says that Job was a blameless man, upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job knew the Lord. And yet, at the end of the story, the end uh, in chapter 42, Job says this. He says, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. You see, practically, Job went through hell. And in the midst of his suffering, he, he cries out. He, he questions God. I, I mean, he basically demands that God answer him. Job 31, 35, oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. You want to see how loving our God is? Listen to that demand. That, that, that Job would be bold enough to say, answer me. And God does. And, 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 and it's, it's amazing because God does answer. 
And he, he doesn't answer in the way probably Job was asking. Job was asking, what have I done wrong? Why do I deserve this? But God answers him in, in such a more loving way. Through a series of questions, God, God says, this is who I am. He reveals himself to Job. I mean, if you look at the questions in, in Job 38 and 39, what there really are is an I am statements. Job, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? The, the answer is, I was. I, I am God. Job, are you the one who provides the raven its prey when it's young and when it's young ones cry out to God for help? Job, I am. I'm the one who provides for them. You see, he reveals himself to Job. He basically says, I am over all and in all and through all. There is no deed too great nor detail too small for me. At the beginning of the story, I'm sure that Job thought he knew the Lord, and he walked with him. But at the end, he says, now my eye sees you. And so I, I think it's here that, that Asaph turns and looks to the Lord and looks to what he's done. So he looks at God, and he said, your way, O God, is holy. What God is? is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And church, there's so much that could be said here that we could dive into. But I kind of want to draw our attention to, to verse 20. Well, actually, 19 and, and 20. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock. Now listen to Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, 
and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, for, for my sheep. Brothers and sisters, we serve a God who did not separate himself from suffering, but entered into it for our sake. And in the exodus, God's power works, but his footprints are unseen. But on the cross, Jesus became a man. He took on flesh, and he walked on, on this earth. His footprints were seen. As we said, he could have started anew, but he came down from heaven. He came down to bear our burdens, more than that, to bear our sin. He suffered and died and rose again, so that suffering and death may be put to death. And in doing so, he's brought many, say that again, many sons to glory, purchased with his blood. Church, we not only have the exodus to look back to. We have what the exodus pointed forward to. We have, we get to look at the cross, the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. Jesus meeting us in our suffering. He is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. So church, it doesn't matter what we're going through. What suffering, whether it's big in our mind, where it's overwhelming and we, we, we are just at despair, or sometimes it could just be a frustration, a disappointment. But church, our, our hope in this series is that we would turn to God, that, that we would be able to, to just be honest with him, to, be, to, conf- to, to go and complain to him, to, to ask him those questions. Because my fear is that if we, if we don't do those in the small things, we won't do it in the big things. And, and when those come, we won't walk with him. We won't get to see him in a new light. We'll run from him. In a moment, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, the band's going to come up, and, and they're going to begin to play. And uh, I, w- I want my hope for us in this time is that we would seek the Lord. That we would just pray. We'd cry out to him. So whether it's something we're walking through now, maybe there's something in our past that we've never taken to God. We we have put it behind us, we've set it aside, we've covered it over it with whatever we found to, to forget about it. But, but we need to take that to the Lord. We need to bring that before him. And, and that's not an easy thing. I know it's not an easy thing. But if you need prayer, uh, I'm here, Randy's here. But grab someone, pray with them. Church, we, we, don't, we aren't like the rest of the world. When we mourn, it, it's not without hope. It's with hope. It's with hope in Christ. Very much looking forward to the promises that one day he will wipe away every tear.
And then after the band plays, I'll come back up and, and uh, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll enter into our time of communion and I'll, I'll dismiss us to get the elements. So pray with me. Father, Lord, we thank you for your love, for your grace. We thank you that you came down from heaven to save us, to live the life that we cannot live, to fulfill the law that we cannot fulfill. And, you, and yet you've suffered the, the penalty of the law. You died and rose again. And so I, I pray, Father, that we would turn to you and that we would look at your cross with, with new eyes, eyes that see that you love us and care for us and are with us. Father, I pray that you would comfort those who, who need your comfort today. Be with them. Lord, we love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.